This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back with Season 2, Episode 3, The Nightcomers. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. We're back talking about Season 2, Episode 3, The Nice Comers. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. I am one of your other hosts, John. I should say fellow Nightcomers, given that's the title like of, that. uh, yes, this episode. I like that. And good evening, Nightcomers. This is Ray. G'day. Hello. Uh, should we be calling them Into the Nice Comers? That be a, a title for them, right? <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd take it. <laughs> Given that's one of one of the many podcasts that uh, that Ray now covers, I was introducing Ray as the uh, the one of the hosts of Into the Night, the Moonlight Podcast, one of the hosts of Last Sons of Krypton. But Ray, you've got about another four podcasts that you're doing at the moment, right? Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, look, just a couple of guest spots here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just started a yeah a Scarlet Spider one, so quite okay, happy nice. with that one. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, that, that came from um, from a big crossover uh, episode that we did a couple of years ago. That you kind of fell in love with the Scarlet Spider. It did, it did. Yeah, that that kind of that interest blossomed from there because mm-hmm. um, there was no Moon Knight tie-in issues, so we covered the Scarlet Spider tie-in issues, and yeah, he's, he's quite an interesting character. So yeah. um, I've kind of run with it, and uh, yeah, interested now to take the journey from when he started way back in. I don't know the nineties or the eighties mm-hmm. or something, um, yeah. all the way through. One of one of Spider Man's clones, Ben Riley, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. about all I know. Uh, <laughs> and that was from our big crossover series, which we did, uh, Damnation, the Doctor Strange series, which actually ties quite well into uh, this episode of Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Bit of Damnation oh, in yes. here for a lot of people as well, right? Yeah, big time. <laughs> Let's get into the discussion about it. Uh, this episode was directed by Brian Kirk. And once again, written by John Logan. John, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode? Sure. Vanessa recounts events from several years before when she went in search of answers to who she was. She sought out a witch known as the Cutwife of Ballantree Moor to learn more about her visions. She also wants to help her friend Mina, who appeared to her in need of help. Even at that time, however, Madame Carly wanted Vanessa, though the Cutwife refused to release her. Slowly and patiently, Vanessa learns her craft, but Madame Carly spins her own web, intent on getting what she wants. So this episode is kind of a um, an interim flashback, isn't it? Because it takes place almost directly after the last flashback that we saw, where Vanessa first was visited by Mina. It seems that she doesn't go straight to Malcolm, or maybe she did go to Malcolm and then went um, in search of the cut wife of Ballantry Moor, um, but it's directly after the first visitation that she's had from Mina on the beach where she tells her, please come and save me kind of thing. Uh, and we hear that she is there, now feels like she's been possessed or that something um, terrible has happened to her and she wants to take the curse off herself. That's why she goes to visit the cut wife. So yes. I like the setup of the episode that it's um, it binds 
the two characters of Ethan and, and Vanessa together because he effectively is trying to get her to tell the story to him of, of what this uh, red scorpion that she's been drawing on the ground is. And that's uh, showing that the two characters are much closer than they were in season one. There was definitely a relationship there and he was there at her side. But now he's saying to her, if you can't tell anybody else this story, tell me. Which I think is a nice touch to bring Ethan back by her side again. Yeah, I, I like, um, I, I really like that motif of, you know, the two of them sat down in, in her room. And I like the fact that actually episode four opens up with her kind of finishing this tale mm. in the, the drawing room with everyone else around it. it. It's, it's kind of like during this tale, her and, and, um, Ethan have brought in other people from Smalkin's house and, uh, the, the tale has grown larger and larger so that mm. everyone, I think ultimately by the end knows this. Um, I, I think as well, it's like, you know, this flash, Back, I suppose it is a little earlier in, in the series of season two and um, compared to the, the flashback in, in season one, which was on episode five. Yeah. But I, I like that they don't start with this, that they, you know, it's, it's not linear because, um, I think certainly in season one, a flashback like that would have kind of given a different tone to the show, possibly. And mm-hmm. uh, I think again here, this, this is nicely placed, I, I, I think, uh, with the events that have happened in the previous two yeah. uh, and with what's to come. So, um, yeah, this was this was good to kind of get the connection of witchcraft into uh vanessa's life and mm-hmm. how that links to her struggle um within herself but also at the time with trying to help her friend mina yeah yeah i think also one of the big things for this is uh, we've, we've seen these kind of flashback episodes before on all the tv series and stuff and and as you mm-hmm. say john it's it's very well placed, but a lot of it rests on the shoulders of the actors, the two of them themselves, uh, Eva yeah. Green and Patty Lapone. They they do so well in this, and for them to carry the whole. Sh- I mean, of course, there are other characters there, like Sir Jeffrey and, and Evelyn Poole as well. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's just the two and yeah. the relationship um, with the two as well, all the way from um, when Vanessa actually goes to the front door and uh and uh the cut wife is suspicious of her all the way through to to the relationship kind of growing mm-hmm. um until they become actually great friends towards the end yeah a lot of it has to do with john logan's script which is mm-hmm. well written but the performances my gosh i guess for me it has really elevated the season uh, mm-hmm. in as early as episode three yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really good. And, and Paddy Lapone is just fantastic in this episode. Really, really good. John, do you want to kick us off with your main point from the episode? Yes. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Um, and whilst the, the cult wife uh, of Ballantree Moore is talking in some cases about the arrival of uh, Vanessa to her door, but also, um, I suppose it could be looked more generally around, um, uh, Madame Carly, who, who certainly pricks up in, in this episode uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm relating this to the angry baying mob with pitchforks, uh, that come for her, uh, come for the witch, uh, known as the cut wife of Ballantry Moore. Um, and is, her name is actually, is actually Joan Clayton. Um, but I found this really, uh, emotional. It's that angry mob. It, it, it's the, it's the illogicalness of it. it. It's the sense of the, the fears of people being whipped up in this case by Sir Jeffrey, um, effectively because of his own impotence, which 
is really, dare I say, hammered home or whipped home by Mrs. Poole mm-hmm. uh, in their kind of motivating bondage session uh, <laughs> where she's really feeding him uh, the, the, the idea that, um, you know, she she's emasculating him really you know make, making him that he will seem servile um you know by letting his cattle die and effectively his estate to die because uh, what we know is that that um the cut wife has land that's been bequeathed to her and he wants that and she won't sell um whilst that this um this own web that we were talking about that Madame Carly is spinning is she is causing the cattle to die. And there's a great moment where she's walking through the field. It's seemingly just touching her, but again, it's her little assassin sort of um, pins from her ring where she, she's obviously putting some kind of poison uh, to, to kill the, the cattle, but she's really yeah. trying to drive home the idea that he is, he's weak. He's become impotent. And, um, and that's what, he is using um, to effectively bring uh, the village folk to his service to go and I suppose call time ultimately are on the cut wife mm-hmm. here. This is really a something driven by Mrs. Poole um, and it's I, I like the fact that there is the moment where he meets with the local vicar and it, effectively that this action is is given legitimacy by uh, the church. So there is, it is this papacy and he goes, no, it's sorcery. Yet this, the kind of transaction that's happening between Sir Geoffrey and the vicar is just purely one of mutual benefit. It's mm-hmm. not of high Christian, uh, morals or values. It's the fact that, well, you will be out of a job. You won't enjoy the, the lifestyle that you have here in this village with your vicarage yeah. if this continues. And and the same applies then with the villagers who are, are hired with their pitchforks, where he kind of ruffles them up. I mean, he even sort of brings it back to the, the Civil War, where they were on the side of the royalists, whereas the land bequeathed to um, the cut wife is from Oliver Cromwell, mm-hmm. the parliamentarian. So um, it, it is... Um, that they will be out of a job, no one will buy it. You know, really playing on their their fears, um, their yeah. real fears. Yeah. But uh, I like how I like how his threat as well is about that he'll be fine. Basically, his threat is, yeah. I'll just move on. I'll move somewhere else where I'll be able to take my cattle, and nobody else will come here with their cattle, and you will have no jobs. Um, I'll be fine though kind of thing yeah so he's rallying them behind his cause so he will be better off but saying to them he'll be fine anyway i think it's it's a really interesting kind of rallying cry against the the people of devon yeah and it's just that baying angry mob that Mm -hmm. can form so quickly um maybe there's an element there's a little bit of what could be argued is happening maybe all the time or certainly uh, at the moment Mm -hmm. um around politics but I, i i found this um you know, really kind of emotional when they come and, and string her up by, by the wrists. Yeah. Uh, they tar her, uh, and then set her alight. And, and it's, it's the girl who has, had recently come to, to her door, um, to have an, uh, have an abortion, mm-hmm. um, a, as well. And, um, she's the in, first one that 
set her alight. Yeah, and she's yeah. the first one that cries out, "Burn the witch! Mm-hmm. Burn the witch!" Um, yeah. And it, it's it's all playing on people's fears to effectively remove her so that um, he can get her land. Yeah. It, it's for him. It, it's it's nothing more uh, than than that. Um, and I, I just I, I found this you know really. Uh, tough to watch. I, I did find it quite emotional. I thought the music again really played into that, the sadness of, of it all. Yeah. You have Vanessa as well being branded, um, but by the, the villagers from the, the, the flames, you know, they heat the iron from the flames of, uh, Joan's burning body. Yeah. Um, this is tough as well for me. You know, we were talking about the, the baby in, in the, in the witch's coven, um, and, and the, the, the dollhouse from hell. But this too, you know, this, this feels more real that this can happen. Um, it, it's all about whipping up people's fears and directing that hatred. Um, and, and so I, I, I found this really, um, sad. I think, and I think, you know, Pasha Lapone, um, and Eva Green just play this so well, yeah. as do the baying crowd. I think it really gives a sense of, awfulness yeah. about it um, and I think the saddest thing about it is there's a line from Joan Clayton where she says they send their women to me but despise me for what I do in yeah. terms of the abortion um, and it, it is that you know they're, they're knocking these women up but they don't want the the children um, and so the the women come for 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 the abortion I th- I found this really tough, and I found it hugely charged and, and emotional, um, and ultimately directed by um, Madame Carly, uh, Evelyn Poole, uh, mm-hmm. as uh, Sir Geoffrey's uh, wife, I think, in this case. I think she's certainly a wife or the mistress. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yes, the, as I say, the motivation, the motivational bondage, um, speech in, in, in the great bedroom of the hall yeah. was, was one where, you, you know, you see her plan coming together. But again, this sense of embarrassment that she's trying to place on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have Vanessa challenging him previously in the woods, uh, where, you know, he's trying to have his, his moment with her, trying to rape her and, and she bites, uh, his hand. Mm-hmm. So th- th- it's massively charged this scene a- a- around, um, this whipping up of angry mobs with pitchforks. Yeah. I just thought this was really yeah. so powerful. And Vanessa um, makes him scream for her as well. Remember? Yeah. So, so, yeah. you know, whatever about Evelyn pushing him in, uh, in the ways of, um, what would the people think of you if they saw you like this, if they saw you under my control, which is the embarrassment factor, uh, even though nobody was around, uh, Vanessa did the same thing to him in that wood as well, you know, so there is this constant berating of yeah. this character. And, and that just adds to his frustration, I think. Mm-hmm. And so to take it back, I mean, John, you've covered it so well as well, but um, just the masterful writing of John Logan mm-hmm. um, to produce with an economy of, I guess, of script and time. This is only one episode. He yeah. gets in yeah. a, a, almost a whole movie in here yeah. and he rounds out and develops all the characters, f- for me, I mean, enough yeah. so in that one yeah. hour time slot to make you well invested in everyone so i mean i'm going to recount some of the stuff you said john as well but um some other other stuff as well uh the first thing uh, with joan clayton towards the end the things that make it so emotional for me is that she finally says her name to vanessa as well she says Mm -hmm. my name is joan clayton she she hadn't revealed that all that time because 
Um, I think she makes a comment early on, like, are we courting? You know, why, yeah. why do you want <laughs> to know my name? name. Like, yeah, I don't need your name. You don't need my name. Yeah. So she actually gives her that level of respect and trust. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, as you mentioned, the um, the woman that goes up for, for the abortion as well. She's the first one to pipe up in, yeah. in the mob to say, burn the witch, you know. Yeah. And it comes from that sense of, as you say, John, that thing of um, there being a shame from the town folk. Yeah. They know they know that they need the cut wife in the sense to to, to cover their indiscretions. Yeah, but exactly. at the same time that they don't like it, that is despise her. So um so all this feeds into their emotion to, yeah, let's just get rid of her because we hate her because we hate ourselves for what yeah, what we have what to we do. Need. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's as well that that young girl who had the abortion, the, the shame is also on her not on on the blokes mm-hmm. and this you yes. know th- this whole burning of um joan clayton here is it's such a masculine thing and it's how madam mm-hmm. carly has spun um that and directed it towards the cut wife here mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. really uh really sad yeah absolutely and and to to make it even sadder for me as well towards the end um we know a little bit towards the end, the cut wife, Joan, she's dying anyway. Like, she falls yeah. down. She knows she's on her way out, and she just she says to Vanessa, just let me just let me die, you know, in peace. I, yeah, I know I'm not, I've been here too long already. Yeah. And there's that tragedy that she could have passed away kind of peacefully in, in her house, mm-hmm. but this mob comes in, and instead she has this terrible, awful, awful death, you yeah. know, where she gets tired and she gets burnt alive. So there's that added tragedy. And and I think that's just such great writing from John Logan as well. Mm-hmm. So he manages to fit all this in, uh, and it all culminating towards the end, and you're just kind of like, oh, my gosh. And you, you feel for Vanessa as well when yeah. she's there. Um, I, I was afraid for her as well. I mean, I know mm-hmm. she obviously she's in the series, but it's like, why wouldn't <laughs> they do something to her? Because yeah. um, that scene of Sir Jeffrey and her in the woods as well, again, just showing uh, something that you know makes him feel inadequate, and he gets his revenge at the end, saying, "Scream for me!" And yeah, I was kind exactly. of glad that when she was branded, that she didn't actually scream. She yeah, kind of just like, ah, yeah. well, you yeah. know, yeah, absolutely every fiber of her being to hold back a yeah. scream is, is what you can see on her face, mm. and that's it's the truth, the true power of the character of Vanessa, really, as well. Uh, I know this is yeah. a bit of a two-hander episode, so we're probably going to talk about most of these points uh, are all going to be about just those two characters. So, Ray, do you want to kick into your point? Because we're probably still going to have some of yep. the stuff to talk about there. Sure, uh, absolutely. I mean, my, my point was um, the, the kind of big reveal, I guess, because it was insinuated at the beginning, um, the cut wife, she is where she is because she was outcast because of what she did. Mm-hmm. She kissed a woman who ended up being her sister. Mm-hmm. And that's just that ended up being Evelyn Poole. And that was yeah. like, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we get these sibling, a bit of a sibling rivalry mm-hmm. between the two and the confrontation with the, the witches with Evelyn at the, at the gates or the stones at the, at the front of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, the cut wife going to Vanessa's just saying doors, I'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. I found that very compelling indeed. And yeah. you see the power of Evelyn Poole. Within seconds, she mesmerizes uh, the cut wife mm-hmm. and she's almost walking out past those stones and who knows what would happen if yeah. she did. Um, yeah. but she's saved by Vanessa. So uh, I think this is a big reveal of, um, of them being sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Evelyn Poole not aging. 
and yeah. the cut wife obviously aging, um, yeah. sorcery and and just yeah this rivalry very yeah, cool absolutely and, yeah. and aging slowly though because uh, we do find out yep. uh, later on that the uh, the land was bequeathed by Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s so she's been around for over 200 years so feeding back into what I was talking about about Evelyn Poole being possibly hundreds of years old as well so um so it, it's interesting to see how she's got herself into this position some of the discussions that they have even about you know she was a member of the society a sister within the society as well as being sister of evelyn pool the rest of the society accepted in lucifer followed his teachings and because she rejected them they expelled her and they put this life on her for the rest of her time you know this moment where even the reveal of her name is something really important she has accepted the name that the townspeople have given to her which is the cut wife that's what she thinks of herself as throughout the notes as i was writing and it was like are they gonna give us a name yeah. for this person but it's yeah. just cut wife because that's the name she's accepted upon herself so that moment where she reveals i am joan clayton to uh to vanessa is a massive moment because it may have been the first mm. time in decades centuries even where she revealed her actual name to anybody else yeah, I, I, as you say, there's that mention of 1644. There's potential she's even older. When she's being mesmerized there, she says, uh, well, Madame Carly says, come to me, sister, let's kiss and coil like adders in ancient mm, Egypt. Mm. Um, you know, the power of those words, um, I thought was really, really nice. And we get this backstory of these where they were day walkers, um, and turned to night walkers as they followed Lucifer, uh, with promises of power, youth, love, and wealth. Uh, so, you know, probably one of the reasons why Evelyn Poole is still so youthful here. But yes, they are probably um centuries old mm -hmm. um if not millennia old here yeah, yeah. um the these these two two witches so i i thought that was um i just thought that was really uh good and i like the little backstory within this episode around the day walkers and night walkers mm -hmm. as well yeah kind of reminds me a little bit of uh a blade with the day walkers yeah <laughs> yes. the day walker, yes. very different <laughs> yes yes very much so i suppose let's go on to uh, on to my point my major point for the episode is just joan clayton offering vanessa a new life her life she's offering vanessa the opportunity to take over from her as the cut wife of of uh balantry moore um what I like about it is everything that's built up, this background storyline of who this character is. Um, she speaks about the fact that she was not, was not born gifted in the dark arts, not born gifted with magic. Vanessa has been born with that. She's always had it within her from the beginning. Um, but I kind of appreciate that this character has been put in the position, has grown into what is required from the people around her and that's why she does what she does she doesn't want to she doesn't want to be the person that that gives abortions to young girls who've been raped or young girls who've been mistreated by the men of the town and then hated by all the people around there but she yeah. knows it's a needed function and she knows that if vanessa does want to hide from the darkness inside her maybe this is a good place to be you're on your own everybody hates you you don't have to deal with your life you don't have to answer any questions from everybody stay here stay in the house and she gifts the home to her as well so that piece of land that they were trying to get off her by burning her to death is actually been gifted to uh, to vanessa by the end of this episode she is now possibly could have just lived there for the rest of her life and ignored the plea from mina if that's what she was willing to do so i, I like the constant conversation between the two of them where vanessa's being trained up in these ways and Joan's saying to her constantly, well, you know, you've got all the, I've got all of, all of the uh, abilities that I have now. So 
does that mean you're going to take over from me? And Vanessa kind of going, well, let me think about it. <laughs> I have a few more things I need to learn. Let me think about it, you know. Um, but she does have all of the powers of uh, of Joan by the end of the episode. And as, as you mentioned, Ray, she does go to her death uh, violently, but she would have died quite soon afterwards anyway. So um, the fact that she's almost training in her uh, her follower uh, by the end uh, throughout this uh, this episode is is important to her that she's passing on her knowledge to the next generation i suppose in a way yeah her writings the writings on the wall there like for mm-hmm. her to die soon as well and and there's something very um i guess very generous and and very uh, warm for her to um offer that to Vanessa mm-hmm. but at the same time it's it's also very sad i mean yeah. exactly as you explained like you know, you can you can take over here. Look what I've done and like what I've built. Although I don't like it, you know, this mm-hmm. is what is for you. Yeah. And, and and it's a very sad thing, like that. She's yeah. I don't know. I just felt very sad for yeah. for Joan that she was offering this, and Vanessa was saying, "Well, we'll see." You know, I'm yeah. not too sure if I want to do it or not. Yeah, and I think the sadness, is, as you say, Ray, I completely agree with you. The sadness really comes from her saying, "It's not the life I would have wanted." But it's my life. I did yeah. whatever I needed to to get by and was whatever the townspeople needed. And then the end of it is that the townspeople needed it, but they still put her to death. They still set her on fire and kill her, even though they know that, that they're the ones that created her being the way she is, you know? Um, yeah. so it is, it is a massively sad piece. One final thing that's in there that she offers Vanessa is the, um, the poetry of the dead, the book, um, that is to be used in only a moment of dire circumstance. When you feel that you're at the point of death, when you feel you're at the point when everything's over, you can use this to get out of that situation. Now, she doesn't say get out of. I I was wondering about that because is there a point here where Joan could have used the poetry of the dead to protect herself from the townspeople, yet she's going to bequeath it to Vanessa instead? Is that something that could have happened there? Could she have saved herself in some way? Has she done it before? Has she used it? Is that why she's lasted this many years, this many centuries? Because she's used the poetry of the dead before on some attackers and not willing to use it now because she's passing on her life to Vanessa? Just a, a question there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I, um, I saw it as a a massive kind of get out of jail free card. <laughs> you know, this is thing yeah. here that you only the most dire circumstances. So I assume that she has never used it before herself and that right. if she had used it towards the end when she was being, um, you, you know, captured by the mob, mm-hmm. uh, whether that would have helped at all because uh, apparently, I don't know. I'm assuming that the, the price for what she has to, to pay for. If she does use it, would have been just so immense. So, uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I see it, and, and kind of that poetry of the dead floating around now is is mm-hmm. pretty is a pretty juicy carrot. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. And I had to rewind and pause a few times on the scene where uh, Vanessa's packing up her stuff. She gives a glance at the book, as everybody can see. It's a very specific glance at the book, and then it cuts to her bag. The book is not inside the bag when she's there, but she does pick up the tarot cards. And takes those with the tarot cards being very important because we saw them in the first episode of season one. These are uh, things that are very important to Vanessa. But she does seal up the house as she's going with her her emblem, with her uh, her uh, scorpion emblem in blood as, she's, as she leaves her home, effectively, because this is the place that she owns now. She seals it up so nobody can enter. Uh, nobody, of, uh, nobody who's not exactly human can enter the home, I think. So I presume this is where she's going to be going back to later on in the season mm. to pick up the Poetry of the Dead book, yeah? This is, this is going to be the quest yeah. item that she needs to collect. It could be, yeah. Because <laughs> well, she, will be, she will be changed forever, I believe, yeah. is, 
Yeah, is what she says. Yeah, I know. It, it's um, I, I I thought this was this idea of offering her the new life associating that with the name you have this black box as well um where to begin with i didn't really think it was just going to be the deeds to the land i just thought i thought mm. it was going to be some kind of like cool dagger or something <laughs> like that but um now you have your own yeah uh, ring dagger to, but, uh, to kill exactly, exactly. <laughs> but ultimately um it's just her transferring the land into vanessa's mm. name um which i thought was kind of quite nice and yeah like yourself it was did she take the book yeah. or or didn't she but it's, um, it's keeping the land out of the hands of gregory i think it's, exactly it's so yeah. interesting because that's the whole impetus of what he's been going after the whole thing that evelyn's been going after is is getting their hands on this land uh, from underneath joan and she dies gruesomely and leaves the land to somebody else but they that also has all of her powers to protect the land from them taking it away from them so i thought that was a really good touch i, I think as well it, it's you know, she goes, you'll bring spice to my last days because, you know, you're in danger and you bring danger here to my home. Mm, I'm um, old. Yeah. I just need a bit of spice, uh, yeah. but you're, da- you're you in know, danger. <laughs> I, I felt your danger and, mm. and that's where I, I just think this is, she takes her in nonetheless. And in a sense, it's this last sacrifice of herself to pass that torch on to someone who can stop her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her sister is quite derogatory to her. She goes, look at how you speak. You're like a talking potato, um, which is kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, that's harsh. It is pretty harsh. I have to say another, another thing we should really compliment, um, Patty Lepone on is the, the way the language is written within the episode is the structure of her sentences and, and how the words are put together is very different from standard English. It's not, it's not old English. It's not, uh, it's not something you could learn other than from reading the script and saying the lines, if that makes sense. And it's, it, she yeah. just does such a good job of getting her point across without using exactly properly English sentences. I suppose it's something mm. that stands out with, within her pattern of speech that she's able to get across how angry or aggressive she is, even though she's not using exactly the, the way the words should sound, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. No. No. She she delivers the lines effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's like it is like just the way she speaks. Um, yeah. But she conveys it very well. No. No. Um. I can't lord uh, Patty Lapone's uh, performance enough. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it was really good. Such a such a strong piece. Um. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting as we mentioned that she turns up later on. Mm. Um, down the track. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't know whether we mentioned that in the recorded part of the podcast, but we will oh. be seeing the actress <laughs> back on the show, uh, which we mentioned uh, off off the left. I think we actually will see her back on uh, on Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I think I caught that she's been okay. confirmed for okay, an episode cool. or two of that show as well, because she's still a, a working actor. She's still somebody that's done some of their great roles after her time on, the, on Penny Dreadful as well. So excited to see her back in the future. Um, that's as much as we're going to talk about uh, our main points of, of this episode, um, any notes that stood out to you for the episode? One that stood out to me, since I'm Irish, uh, one that did stand out to me was uh, as uh, Gregory is whipping up the Devonshire locals, he said uh, he said to them, um, you don't want to become properly like the Irish, digging your, out potatoes with your fingernails while your children die. And that's what makes them rally against the, uh, against well, the yeah. witch. This is around the time of the, of the great potato famine of Ireland, which killed, uh, well, lost around six million people in Ireland uh, at the time. So this idea of a landowner in Devon telling the people of, of, England, effectively, you don't want to become like the Irish because effectively the landowners are what turned the Irish that way, turned them into people that had to 
work the land rather than take care of their children. So, uh, so this idea that he's using that as a way of whipping up uh, this evil sentiment within uh, the locals is uh, is just fascinating. I think it's a really yeah. a really good placement of of history. I suppose, yeah, stories that they may have heard about uh, on uh, from other people as well. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, anything from from you, Ray? Anything that uh, that we haven't yeah. talked about in the episode? Uh, just a few little small small things. I like the nods to the references. I think you touched upon it, Derek, of the previous seasons. Uh, so mm. the tarot cards we see now, the tarot cards which were in season one, episode one, yeah. mm-hmm. and. Uh, and also nightshade um so the cut wife shows vanessa some nightshade in the in the yes. forest there uh and uh, viewers will remember that uh, vanessa calls that out to dorian gray when they're in the in the gardens mm-hmm. um so again i like this kind of tying it in um with with the previous seasons yeah uh, one of the other ones uh, less a little bit more comical for me was there's a there's a scene where the cut wife she kind of reproaches vanessa and she whacks her on the head Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> the expression, yeah, the expression on Eva Green's face. Either they acted that so well, mm-hmm. or she generally didn't realise how hard Patty Lapone was going to hit her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it was just an absolute shock on her face. But I thought, oh, that was grand. That was really yeah. well done. Absolutely, <laughs> I really love that. There's a nice moment as well, just after they've hunted the rabbit and she's skinned the rabbit and she's putting herbs. Uh, and she's seizing it, putting it in the pot, and mm-hmm. she's adding the salt. And Vanessa goes, "Not too much salt now." And as Vanessa walks away, <laughs> the, the, basically the rest of the hand of salt that she's mm-hmm. got, so tons of it, just she just like slips it into the the pot yeah. uh, and yeah. looks at it. I thought that was nice. It's like um, a nobody tells me what to do, whether it's yeah, like yeah. cooking or about how to live my life. Nobody tells me what to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Coming to your tarot cards, yeah, I had to just because she picks the devil uh, immediately mm. so within tarot uh, the devil represents being seduced by the material world or physical pleasures which kind of doesn't really connect maybe too much with vanessa but also about living in fear domination and bondage which um so it's the fear of that that lucifer may um ultimately win and and bring her into his bondage i mm. suppose so i thought that was a nice consistency of, of um you know the situation that vanessa finds herself in and and then the court wife does call her uh, my little scorpion mm-hmm. um you're strong-willed and agile like a scorpion so uh, you you really do get that sense again of vanessa's will um you know we saw it in her possession um uh, in sir malcolm's home earlier on we, we've seen it um in, in some respects with now encountering uh these these past creatures you know or these creatures from her past in, in the form of the witches her her strength of will to try and uh overcome them or to deal with them i think is is really good um and the only other thing i had was i thought sir jeffrey he reminded me of um the person who played Sir Francis Drake in Blackadder the Second. Okay. Um, no, he's not. But I, I did immediately think about. It. So all the way through this until after the episode, I was like, "Wow, this is a real different kind of character <laughs> he's playing here. <laughs> he's such a nasty guy." The the actor is Ronan uh, Vibert, um, but it was Simon Jones who plays Sir Francis Drake right. in right. in Blackadder the Second. So <laughs> just a little sharing of my confusion right, with like uh, our fellow darklings <laughs> yeah 
Uh, um, just one final point as well. Just on my mm-hmm. side, I want to because I have to do it. The the music uh, towards the end, we get the familiar Penny Dreadful theme. Oh yeah. And I don't know about you guys if you had that same feeling, but there was this kind of welcome uh, feeling of familiarity with the mm-hmm. theme uh, after yeah. I've gone through this whole journey of this episode with only Vanessa being that the person from the whole series, but just transported to that other world uh, to hear that theme towards the end because we know this is the start of where her adventure begins. Exactly. Um, heading to London. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, brilliantly yeah. used. I loved it. Yeah. It's like as if now you can turn on season one, episode one, and understand the mm. whole season far better from her perspective, what she's gone through to get to that start of season one. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of cool. Um, the only final note I have is, I suppose, the controversial figure of Oliver Cromwell. Um, in the, I love the fact that, um, Joan talks about his warts on his face, which he was very well known for, mm-hmm. um, which coming from a witch is kind of interesting because <laughs> the, the, the usual image is of witches having warts across their face. Yeah. But he leaves her the land and, and she just makes the reference, you know, she had no love of the royalists as they had none for us poor folk or women folk. Um, and I suppose Cromwell obviously didn't have any love for royalists either. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, controversial figure, I suppose, <laughs> given the Irish connection. Exactly. Um, uh, and what he did in Ireland yes. as well. He was seen so, very differently in my history classes than he was in the UK. Yeah, yeah no, it is. It, it, it's a real interesting point mm. about the perspective of history because, mm. um, I suppose in, in England, at least it was about forming the supremacy of parliament. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, it's effectively about conquest because mm-hmm. at the time the, the crown was England, Ireland, um, and then there was Wales. Yeah. It wasn't Scotland just yet. So yeah, a, a troubled, long political past, I mm-hmm. suppose, within, um, Britain and Ireland. Yeah. But it, so it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting figure, if not <laughs> controversial, is Oliver Cromwell. I, I've got one last note to add just to mention. Um, because of the reveal of Joan Clayton's name at the end of the episode, there were a lot of questions over, was that name massively important? For my part, during the episode, it's explained why she doesn't reveal her name uh, till the end because she has adopted the name that's been given to her by the villagers. But I just liked one of the theories that I saw uh, about this right back from the time that uh, that the show was on air. One of the theories was that the name was important because maybe she was Joan of Arc that she'd lived oh, from the okay. 1400s. Um, Joan of Arc, okay. famous figure, burnt at the stake. Um, I think twice, if that, if I if I remember correctly, she was she was put to <laughs> set to fire uh, twice during her, during her life. Um, but but interesting that this idea that because uh, Joan Joan's name is Joan Joan Clayton that she could possibly be have lived lived on for another 400 years and now living in in England uh with a land given to her by Oliver Cromwell. Uh, just think it's an intriguing theory. I don't think there's yeah. any any uh anything meant uh, in the show by it but just thought it was an intriguing Well, one. well she's got the she's got the short hair she's as well hair so as well. Yes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll be we closing out there for our discussion on episode 3 of season 2. Yes, I've got no further notes on episode 3. This is a really good episode um just full of so much layering mm-hmm. of of these characters in terms of vanessa but also uh old uh the cut wife of ballantry more mm-hmm. yeah yeah really really good episode to go back and do yeah I, i'd uh, probably out of 
all the episodes so far, probably most likely that I'd recommend this to my partner, Eve, who right. um, hasn't watched the series, but since it's just so well-contained and it's a one-off mm-hmm. um, and it's, you know, not that not that gory, just from mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just trying to, trying to backtrack. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's it just a really well-told story and, and mm-hmm. so many interesting characters, so yeah, I can't lord it enough. Excellent, excellent. That's it. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Season 2, Episode 4 of Penny Dreadful, Evil Spirits in Heavenly Places. Here's a message from Ray's other podcast, Last Sons of Krypton. I am Connor from the House of El. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed, and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. So just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are that week. Up, 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 up and, and away! away.